0: Times are really tough right now, and the truth is that times are often really tough for many of us, with or without a global pandemic. Bad things happen all the time, difficult things, challenging things, whether it's seemingly silly, mundane, day-to-day challenges, or big grief that we go through. And what I wanna talk to you about today is that the pain is inevitable, as the Buddhist saying goes, but the suffering is optional. Now, you might have heard this phrase before, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. What does that really mean? I wanna break it down for you today. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. What we're gonna be talking about today is how to unvictimize yourself. And first let's talk about what it means to be a victim and why this is important to begin with. One of the things I think that is great about our culture today is that we are learning to feel our feelings. We're learning that it's okay to feel sad or lonely or frustrated or angry. We are getting justification and validation and learning that we simply need to feel those feelings and that we don't need to oppress them or hide them or shut ourselves up. And I think this is a great step when we think about where we used to be emotionally oppressing ourselves and you know, just putting on a smile for the world and all of that stuff or numbing behaviors, escaping our feelings. Or the ideas that you know, boys shouldn't cry or crying makes you hysterical or that type of thing. It's really good that we're deconstructing those stories and we're learning to feel our feelings. That's fantastic. The trouble is that when we don't know how to move past that, when we give too much weight to our feelings, we can actually now fall victim to our feelings or at least to our perception of them. We can so much listen to and so much feel our feelings that we don't know how to coach ourselves through them and we don't give ourselves the power to come out on the other side. So I think that one of the things that a victim does, a victim mindset does to us, is that it keeps us small. It keeps us low. We all go through lows, right? And if you have experienced grief, for example, it's human nature to go through a cycle of grief that includes, you know, the shock and the denial and the bargaining and the depression and the anger. But the final step of grieving is acceptance, right? Even when we go through all of the cycle, the final step is that we accept. now. The crazy truth is that people get to acceptance, they get to a place of grounding, a place where they can move forward with their lives, even when they've come through some of the craziest, most difficult, most challenging traumas and griefs that exist. And many times, those people have gained a sense of perspective on the world and of life that helps them with being strong, being, you know, just insightful moving forward. It actually helps them to feel huge sense of joy, a huge sense of surrender to the present moment, a huge sense of seizing the day, because it's given them that perspective that everything could be taken away from us. And that's a very healthy approach to life in many ways. Now, of course, we don't wanna go through the massive loss in order to get through those insights, but we wanna understand that process and that that's kind of a perspective that's available to us even without the big grief and the big loss so in many ways society sets us up to be a victim particularly parents i would say are very much portrayed as victims in media in the way that we are seen as people who sacrifice everything, right? Mothers are seen as this sacrificial role, that you give up your body, your bank account, your mental health, your sleep, all your free time, all of your hobbies, your sense of self, your identity, that you're supposed to just give that all up at the altar of childhood and sacrifice that for your child and be this martyr, be this victim. That's almost sanctified, that's almost celebrated that mothers should Kind of deny themselves pleasure, deny themselves feeling like, you know, a powerful person because now they are in service to their children. And it's also reinforced by the idea that parenting is so hard, that children are so terrible, right? We call them the terrible twos. And we talk about children, you know, I get messages a lot and sometimes people will use words like, he's killing me. It's brutal. I can't take it, right? It's very socially sanctified for us to talk about parenting in victimized terms. My children do this to me. My children make me angry. As if somehow having children means that they now have that power over us that they hold us as a victim and they are the aggressor or our new lifestyle is the aggressor. So how do we balance all of this with, oh but we're supposed to feel our feelings? And you know, here's, here's my my kind of analysis of the situation is that Feeling your feelings is just step one. And victims get stuck at step one. Victims stay there. I mean, we all know that person, that something happened to them, something unpleasant happened to them, and they go through the rest of their life with a chip on their shoulder. They go through the rest of their life feeling that it was done to them. They're pointing fingers at the world, blaming the world, everyone else is at fault, making excuses for why they can't show up, and never taking responsibility for their reaction to the situation no one is saying that the initial infringement didn't happen no one is saying that hard things aren't happening no one is saying that this pandemic isn't extremely challenging it is but the victim stays only in the mindset of how hard it is and only in the self-pity we all want to go through that first step of feeling our feelings of honoring our feelings, of saying, you know what, it's okay to have a little pity party. It is okay to cry. It is okay to feel a bit sorry for ourselves. It is absolutely okay to feel like it's too much and I can't take it. But a victim stays there. A victim gets some benefit out of staying in the helplessness. They say, "Well, if I if I'm helpless, if it's too hard, if I, you know, if, if the world is at fault, if someone else has done this to me, then I don't have any responsibility in this. I don't have to pick myself up and respond or rebuild my life or get creative or find a solution because I'm a victim. Someone else is the aggressor, someone else is at fault." Now, listen. That's justified, right? If we want to spend our lives pointing fingers, like, it's not fair because of the school system. It's not fair because of the government. It's not fair because of my husband. It's not fair because of my spirited child or their tantrums. It's not fair because it did this to me or it did that to me or, you know, pregnancy tore my body apart or, you know, our children's therapies, uh, you know, emptied our bank account. All of that stuff is true we can stay there, we're allowed to. Um, Certainly society will justify that we stay in victim mindset. In fact, we will be encouraged to feel sorry for ourselves. Everybody else will pity us too. My question to you is not a judgmental one. I'm not saying to anyone who feels sorry for themselves or feels pity that they shouldn't. I'm not saying that it's not justified. It is, it's valid, it's allowed. And I definitely think we should linger there enough to get in touch with what we're really feeling and ride that wave. But my question is, do we want to stay there? Do you wanna stay there? Do you want to spend your life as a parent feeling a little bit sorry for yourself at all times? When we feel a little bit sorry for ourselves at all times, it's when we give in to binge eating chocolate, or drinking wine in the morning, or binging on Netflix, or just scrolling mindlessly at our phone, right? We give in to escape. When we feel sorry for ourselves, we hold a lot of resentment to others, right? Our partner comes home at the end of the day and we let fly at them, like, how dare you, do you know what I've gone through? Do you know what I've suffered today with these rugrats, right? We, we let fly at the people around us and we compare ourselves to everyone else and we always come up like, I have it worse, but I have it more challenging. And the ironic thing about that is that the people that I know in my real life who have it more challenging by any objective external measure than anyone else, and I know we can't know what's going on on the inside, but the people who you look at their lives and you're like, wow, they were dealt a rough deck of cards. They really have a tough situation handed to them and none of it was their fault. Those are the least victimized people in the world that I know. The people that I know who are handed really, really, you know, really off the charts, medical situations, financial situations, family situations, etc. are the people who are grounded in gratitude, who are proactive, who are so unentitled, right? And who don't feel sorry for themselves for a minute. In fact, they have space to think about others and to look for ways of being of service. I mean, it's unbelievable, it's just incredible. And meanwhile, it's often those of us who are in these kind of ivory towers and uh, you know, golden cages where everything has gone right in our lives theoretically. Who find those little things to victimize ourselves with? Now, this is a gross generalization, and it's not always true. Sometimes we victimize ourselves with things that could really, you know. I, I get it. You know, it's big. It's too hard to overcome, or it seems too hard to overcome. But I just want to remind you of human adaptability, of human, you know, adjustability, of our flexibility and of our anti-fragility. Because humans overcome the most crazy adverse situations and they come through it stronger. They actually come through it with a sense that they are not a victim, that something bad happened to them, that they were a victim in that situation, but they are not going through life with a victim mindset. They make the decision to make lemonade out of lemons. They make the decision to learn from what happened to them. They make the decision to pay forward the goodness that other people were helping them with during that time. They make the decision to find alchemy in a bad situation and alchemize it for good or at the very least not allow it to continue harming them throughout their lives. I've spoken publicly about my own PTSD after you know losing friends and neighbors to terror attacks in my hometown in Jerusalem and one of the things that I felt coming through that was I felt very much like a victim at that time. I mean these people were literal you know, victims, they were murdered in our neighborhoods. It was absolutely, you know, an aggressor and a victim. And anyone who was touched by that situation easily felt like a victim. The difference is, do you maintain that mindset throughout your life or do you move forward from it and find strength, right? Find that you are stronger and find the ways that you can be proactive in your life and not stay in that victim mentality. And one of the things that was very powerful in helping me move past that was the idea that we've suffered the the situation, right? You were a victim once, like something bad happened once. Now it's your choice whether you suffer that thing again and again and again for the rest of your life because you re- you just rethink it and you circle it and you you know kind of mix it around in your brain again and again and again and you actually chemically, hormonally, react to those thoughts and memories and feelings as if they're happening and reliving the situation again and again. When I was having recurring nightmares about these attacks, I was basically victimizing myself to go through a scenario that was over. It wasn't happening anymore, but I was still a victim of it. When we unvictimize ourselves is when we actually put a stop to the suffering from a specific event. So the pain was inevitable, right? I couldn't stop the terror attacks. I couldn't stop the deaths. But the suffering is optional. Now it is done. Do I continue to suffer as a victim or do I move on with my life and do what I can do? Focus on what I can't focus. So, as parents, specifically in my community, in the Parenting Junkie community, and especially in Present Play, my membership, One of the main flags that we fly is to unvictimize ourselves. Yes, everybody deserves to feel their feelings, we should, that's healthy. Everybody deserves to have a pity party once in a while. You can cry, you can be vulnerable, you can say it's too much, you can say it's too hard. But what differentiates us from staying there and just saying, well, just have a glass of wine, you know, and feel sorry for yourself, is that we are looking for the next step, for step number two. How do we now stop the suffering that is optional? The pain was inevitable, now the suffering is optional. So what what do we do for step number two? Now, if you're asking yourself, how can I stop my victim mindset and step into an empowered mindset? Well, I'm so glad you asked and you've come to the right place. Here's how. Now, we've already spoken at large about adjusting our expectations to meet our resources. And when we have a drop in resources, our expectations need to match. And so this is not about holding ourselves to some high standard. I very much believe that now might be the time for mediocrity. It might be the time for eating cereal three meals a day, for watching extra shows every day. I definitely believe it is. And what I'm about to say isn't about motivationally pumping you up to be Pinterest worthy during a pandemic. That is not the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is definitely simplify, definitely feel your feelings, but also unvictimize yourself. Don't allow this to turn into a trauma, to register as a trauma in your brain that you suffer for when you have the choice not to. So how do you make that choice? Let's go into it. Listen, if you don't want to feel like a victim then you have to not see yourself as a victim. When something bad happens in the world, or to us personally, we can tell ourselves a story of victimhood. Like, someone else was to blame, it was out of my control, it shouldn't have happened, it's not fair, something bad happened to me, and now I'm going to suffer for it. Okay, we can tell ourselves a story of being broken by something, of something being too much or too hard, or us not having the tools, not having the capability, not being able to handle what has been thrown at us. Or we can tell ourselves the story of empowerment. We can adopt a mindset that does not, that refuses to see ourselves as a victim, no matter what has happened to us. There are people out there who go through the worst things you can imagine, and yet they don't allow it to drop them into victim mindset. They still maintain responsibility and empowerment and creative agency in their lives. How do they do it? Well, they don't see themselves as fragile. They don't see themselves as breakable. They don't see themselves as shakeable and flappable. Instead, they see themselves as strong, brave, resilient, gritty, adaptable, creative, and flexible. In this time, we as parents need to adopt a mental model of ourselves as adaptable and flexible, as can-do people. Yes, I know, it means simplifying our lives. We're not gonna do all the things. You can't do the housework and the working from home and the homeschooling and the dinners and the laundry and the cleaning, all of that in one go. It's not humanly possible, it's too much. And that's fine. The point is not to say I can do everything and be a fake supermom. The point is to say I am not a victim. I am flexible and I can handle this. I don't have to do it perfectly, but I will get through this and it will make me stronger. I want you to remember that there are two types of stress. When we go to the gym, we need to lift weights if we wanna build muscle. We've gotta stress our muscles so that they can rise to that challenge and get stronger. We've gotta actually lift something that's heavy and put a bit of stress on our system. That's good stress. If we drop a whole ton on our head, that would be bad stress and that would kill us. The difference between good stress and bad stress is our capacity to match it, to meet it, to handle it. Now if you see any kind of stress, like I'm home for weeks with my kids, if you see that as a ton of weight on your head that's gonna kill you, then it will. But if you see it as I'm gonna lift these weights and I'm gonna get stronger, I can do this, then you will. So this is the step to unvictimize yourself is to see yourself as strong and to see this situation as an exercise in getting stronger. Byron Katie teaches us that there are three kinds of business in the world. There's my business, there's your business, and there's God's business. And she teaches us that we have to stay firmly in our own We've got to mind our own business and not get ourselves into other people's business or into God or the universe's business. One of the ways that we stay mentally strong and not become a victim is we don't suffer needlessly about things that are out of our control. This is the serenity prayer, right? Accept what you can't control and have the wisdom to know the difference. Well, the difference of the things that we can control and the things that we can't control is different between our business and other people's or the universe's business. Listen, a worldwide pandemic, that's the universe's business. How other people behave about it and respond to it, that's their business. How you behave and you respond to it, that's your business. That's the only business you've got. Now, if you want to be a victim, the best thing to do is to worry and suffer and... Get yourself you know, all up in your head about other people's business. How are they handling it? What are they doing? What are they doing? Or in the universe's business. Why did this happen? When will it end? That's not your business. Our business is just what we control, our own business. And when we stay firmly planted in our business, we're not a victim because we realize that those are things that might be painful to hear we can certainly feel those feelings of pain, like, oh, I'm sad that that's happening, but it's not my business, there's nothing I can do about it. And so I'm not going to victimize myself or feel sorry for myself. I'll feel the feelings of sadness, I'll let that wash over me, I'll honor that, but I'm not going to feel sorry for myself or stay helpless in the face of something that wasn't my business to begin with. If we wanna unvictimize ourselves, we need to take control of our thoughts, our mindset. Churchill famously said, pessimists see the difficulty in every opportunity. Optimists see the opportunity in every difficulty. Now, the truth is that being an optimist is healthier, you live longer, you even make more money if you're an optimist. And it's something we can actually train our brain to do, even and especially in the face of big, tragedy we have to be relentlessly optimistic really actively choosing to see things through a positive light through a gratitude light through a light that sees the opportunity that sees the hope that sees the helpers that sees all of the benefits the silver linings of course you know we're not saying no to all of the bad things that are happening we see them but we're trying to maximize our attention on the positives That is what will help us be optimistic and protect us from sinking into depression, anxiety, and victim mindset. It's a choice that we make. Where are we focusing? Are we focusing on the bad news, on the what if scenarios, on all the ways it could go wrong, on all the ways it's already gone wrong, on the loss, on the tragedy, on the grief? Are we giving all of our attention over to that? I mean, our negativity bias would say so, right? It draws us in naturally to focus on all the negativity. And that's why we have to actively pull back from there and say, yes, all of that is true. We're not negating it, we're not denying it. We're not living in denial. Those things are true and, not but, and there are good things too and I can equally focus my attention there. Now, how do you think it affects you? If you focus your attention purely on the negative or a little bit on the negative and then a lot on the positive, do you think you're a more effective parent, a better friend, a better community member? more effective just in general and being a helper and being part of the solution rather than part of the problem? Do you think that you spiraling into anxiety and depression and guilt and fear is going to contribute to us solving and us working together? Or is it going to burden our burden systems even further? Right? And I don't say this with any judgment. It's a choice that some of us can't make, right? If we have mental health issues, if we don't have enough support, if we don't have enough resources, we almost don't have a choice in the matter. But I wanna tell you listening to this, you do have a choice in the matter. There are resources here to help you. You can pull yourself through by choosing what to focus on, what information to let in, and where to put your energy. When we feel like victims to something like a global pandemic, one of the things we have a lot of power over is our words. This is a huge source of power any day of the week, but it's especially important in the face of tragedy, grief, overwhelm, and depression. Look, it is so easy to use our words, whether they be the spoken word or the written word, in a way that brings everything down, including ourselves. We can use very powerful words to describe situations that aren't so powerful and give them more power through our words. I wanna give you a couple of examples. A lot of people say that we shouldn't uh, ever do grief comparison, right? That someone grieving over not getting to walk their college graduation is you know comparable because for them it's real grief to someone who's lost You know, a parent or a sibling or a child because we don't compare grief, apparently. But I wanna say that I don't think this serves us, this idea that all grief is comparable and it's okay to feel sad about all the different things to the same extent. Of course, of course there is some loss, there is some sadness, there's a disappointment, a frustration, you know, there's FOMO, We just feel like we're missing out and we're sad when we miss out on events during this time, like a kid's birthday party, or a trip we were supposed to go on, or a graduation ceremony. It can even feel really emotional. We can feel really disappointed that we didn't get to do the things we wanted to do. And that's legitimate. And it's okay to feel those feelings. It's absolutely legitimate and fine. You're allowed to feel sad about that. But don't compare it to the greater losses in life, like losing someone we love, for example, losing our health, because that brings you into a victim mindset. That makes you, that registers in your own heart, in your own mind, as if something terrible happened to you. And if we give our children the idea that they can't handle missing out on their college graduation, that it's something to grieve, that it's something so terrible, what kind of message are we sending them about themselves? That they're fragile, that they can't handle disappointments. You know, I think the better message to be sending them is, listen, that's really disappointing, I totally get it. The truth is that in the current situation, anyone who is breathing without a ventilator is one of the lucky ones, you know? Anyone who still has a home and a roof and food on the table is truly blessed. And so yes, we are disappointed about that and our focus is going to be on the things we're grateful for. I'm not saying that we should shame people for feeling sad or disappointed. And I'm not saying that we should force gratitude on people while they're still feeling that loss. That's not gonna work. I'm just saying that our general approach needs to be to use words wisely and to save those extreme words for the extreme situations. Instead, we want to opt for words like, I can do this, this is hard, I can do hard things, or I am doing this, or things like, it is a challenge, it is a surprise, it's not what I most preferred, it's not always the most pleasant, you know, it does make me a little worried, and just using words that are more uh, suitable to the level of of challenge that we are experiencing on an external level and not making our internal level so explosive, so fragile that something like this is sending us into that place of brutality, trauma, killing me, you know, I'm dying, all of those words. Someone wrote to me on Facebook this, this week saying, why are you telling everyone to be happy? You know, you try being home 24 seven with a six year old. It's brutal. And, you know, my heart goes out to her because I understand that she's having a really, really hard time, and I don't judge her for that. It can be incredibly difficult. I'm sure it's very, very hard for her. The choice of the words brutal, however, is not serving her, certainly not serving her child either. Why? when you think about the brutalities that have occurred throughout human history, what we usually use the word brutal to describe. And then you use that word to describe being home, safe, sheltered, fed, and staying home with our children for a few weeks. Even though it's cabin fever, even though it's challenging, even though it's not what we're used to, when we put the label brutal on that, we are disempowering ourselves and making ourselves feel like our life is so much worse, right? Like something brutal is happening to us, when instead, it's really probably more similar to something challenging, frustrating, difficult, you know, new, all of those things, not our preference. It's not our preference, it's not what we wanted. Is it brutal? And I just wanna challenge us all not to be using words like it's killing me, or it's brutal, or it's traumatic, about things that don't quite fit the true use of those terms. And the reason I'm saying that is because I do believe that words have power, and when we see this kind of concept creep, right, like, The word trauma used to mean something and now it means something much less significant, much less big than it used to mean. That is not necessarily benefiting our mental health. That is us creating mental models of us as victims and as fragile. We don't want that for ourselves. So the way that we use our words is a crucial aspect of empowering us in the face of a challenging situation. Instead, we want to opt for words like, I can do this, this is hard, I can do hard things, or I am doing this, or things like, it is a challenge, it is a surprise, it's not what I most preferred, it's not always the most pleasant, you know, it does make me a little worried, and just using words that are more uh, suitable to the level of challenge that we are Experiencing on an external level and not making our internal level so explosive, so fragile that something like this is sending us into that place of brutality, trauma, killing me, you know, I'm dying, all of those words. How do we empower ourselves and unvictimize ourselves in the face of a big challenge like being on lockdown and being quarantined? Well, we double down on the things that we do control. You already know you don't control so much of what's going on. You don't control what's in the news. The curve is something that you don't control. How other people are behaving is something that you don't control. How the virus behaves is something that you don't control. But there is so much that you do control. And instead of focusing on the the loss of control, the uncertainty, we can actually focus on a sense of powerful, creativity. Now, the reason I say this is because powerlessness and helplessness are a sure path to depression and anxiety, and we don't want that. And so instead of letting ourselves roll into victimhood, we want to pull that back and get creative. What do you control? So much! You control how, what you want to focus your attention on, what kind of media you want to consume, what you spend your time on in your home how you arrange your home, what you're doing all day, your activities, your words, even your thoughts, in many ways can be something that you can direct and control. And so if you don't wanna feel like a victim and you wanna kind of unvictimize yourself and empower yourself, then you've got to make choices that you do control, seize that control and double down on it. So ask yourself today, what do I control? What can I do with our schedule that would serve us better? What can I do in my home? Like, can I set up a movement zone? Can I set set up a messy zone? Can I make a great flow to our day? Can I show up with a smile? Can I move my body? Can I make food that we enjoy eating? Can I play music? Can I light a candle? Are there things I can do to make my life easier? Can I say no to certain commitments that I have or certain phone calls that I don't feel like or certain Zoom classes that aren't serving us? Can I say no to certain household chores? Like, yeah, it's gonna be be a bit dirtier around here, or we're going to do laundry less fancy, or meals more simple. What do you control and take control over that? It's creative work to unvictimize ourselves and feel powerful and craft and create a life that we enjoy with what we've got right now, given everything that we don't control as well. Now, I want to share with you an important bonus way that you can unvictimize yourself, and that is hand on my heart by joining Present Play. And the reason I say this is because Present Play is like help knocking at your door. It is support for you, it is coaching, it is actionable blueprints that are gonna help you to create family bliss even during this pandemic. Now if you're hearing this in some future date and it's no longer relevant, no worries. Get on the wait list, join us next year. But if you're hearing this before May 1st, I have to tell you doors are about to close. We don't let people in on after the deadline and we get a lot of sad emails after that. So please get over to presentplay.com and sign up immediately to join us because inside you're going to get such actionable coaching and hand-holding and accountability and step-by-step One of the things I love about present play is that it gives us parents a focus. Many of us feel frazzled, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get a handle on all the things, sleeping, eating, schedules, homeschooling, sibling rivalry, screen addiction, independent play. It's too much to tackle all at once. And so what we're gonna do in present play is pace you, pace you so that you get actionable results each and every month, measurable results. And can you imagine the compound effect of that, of you making actionable changes month after month after month after month, and then by the end of the year you look back and you think, oh my gosh, like this home, and my parenting is unrecognizable. Now, part of being a present player is very much about unvictimizing ourselves. It's a very core part of our mentality in present play. We make a lot of space for feelings. You can feel raw and vulnerable and sad and grief. And then we also help you move into step number two, which is becoming creative over the things you do control. Right? It's adjusting your mindset to this new reality. It's making lemonade out of lemons. It's figuring it out. Being a present player means that we're very solution-oriented. We look for win-wins. We're not into comparison. We're not into competition. We very much believe that everybody is doing the best they can with what they've got. We're not into dogmatic, one-size-fits-all parenting styles. And we are a judgment-free zone, which means that people show up as they are. One of the things I love about Present Play is the diversity and inclusivity of this community. We have people from over 60 different countries. Okay, I thought it was 50. I just found out it was 60 different countries. We have thousands of members from all over the world and from every walk of life, every type of family structure, you know, from single moms to big families, homeschoolers, public schoolers, all the things in between. And we're just all united by one simple thing. Well, two things really. The main thing is that we're all there to create family bliss. But we're also all there because we really see the value of play and we wanna prioritize play and encourage independent play in our children. So as you can imagine, being a present player is a pretty darn uncommon type of individual. These are some of the most incredible people I have ever met. I really enjoy meeting with them on a weekly basis and coaching them and being coached by the community, by the vibe, just it elevates my vibe all the time. My frequency is like buzzing high because I'm in touch with this community and I have that resource, that pool to dip into. It's a very, you know, kind of, nurturing space to be part of, but it's also, it also encourages me to be my best self, to show up to my life, not as a victim, but as a creator, not as a consumer who's just here listening to more and more podcasts, reading more and more books, blah, 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 and never doing the things that I wanna do in my life, but actually getting the results I wanna get. Listen, if you feel like you wish help would just show up at your door, this is the universe offering you help. I mean that with all sincerity, it will help. I know that because of the thousands of messages that we receive from present players who have said this, I would not have made it through this pandemic, this lockdown with my children, if it wasn't for present play. I would have been broken by this. I would have been, you know, so frustrated and upset and depressed. However, because of the tools that I've got from Present Play, I feel like I am built for this. I feel like I not only can handle it, but I can shine, I can rock it. And of course I have bad days too, everybody does, but overall I feel really like this has made me stronger. Now that is the opposite of a victim mentality. That is someone who sees that the pain might be inevitable, but the suffering is optional. This is my biggest, warmest invitation to you to join Present Play before it is too late when the doors close May 1st, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We won't be opening again for another year and the price will most probably be going up by then. And so if you want to lock in your price and join us and get all of the benefits that you can get right now this year, you know, starting today, then I warmly invite you to come on over. The link is in my Instagram, it's in my website, it's in my Facebook and it's just presentplay.com.